0: Well, if you would this morning take your Bibles and open with me to Acts 9, please. Acts chapter 9. We are traveling with a brand new Christian. His name is Saul. He's previously a, a murderous terror to the church. And now he's brand new. I hope you can resonate with that. Brand new. He's the person who would later write, I am a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He knew that firsthand. Sometimes that's a truth that we still don't get. We're brand new people. Do you feel brand new? Aren't you glad it's not based on feeling? Praise Jesus, right? Let me ask you this. How many of you ever gotten a hold of a brand new car? Maybe you test drove it. Maybe you bought it. What's the one thing that you notice? The brand new car smell. Do you realize that companies have actually come out with the spray for your car to make it smell brand new? Little fresheners you hang look like trees. I know some of you are like, I put that in my kid's car. It's still not smelling brand new. <laughs> would overtake it, right? There used to be a scooter store in Baraboo. I would always just giggle to myself when i drive by. They sold scooters and they said, Come try that new scoot smell. (laughs) That's usually when one of the kids is in the backseat. I'm like, I can smell that new scoot smell back there. (laughs) It's not what they mean. But there's something about newness that people are attracted to, there's something about newness that is important. If for no other reason, get this Jesus Christ gives a thorough and complete grand do over. Now, maybe you don't come from a background of murdering people, but I'm sure we all come from a background of something that is classified as nothing short of evil, wicked, and depraved. All things are made new in Jesus Christ. And so what we're seeing is a brand new baby believer crawling, and he starts crawling pretty quick. Now, I didn't get through all my sermon last week. My hopes is to get through last week's sermon this week, okay? Okay. We're in chapter 9. We're going to look, starting in verse 10. We're just going to read what we saw last week, and then move forward. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire into the house of Judas for a man named Tarsus, sorry, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen a vision a man named Ananias, come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, food, and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed. And they were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. What an incredible testimony. You talk about someone that was walking one way and turned around to walk another one? Only Jesus can do that. Only an encounter with Christ can make that type of difference in someone's life. And here is the reason why. His value system has changed. Does everybody see that? What did he value before? Religious piety. The thirst for being right. For being top dog. In fact, we're going to see a little bit of that here in just a second. But then when he came encountered with Christ, he's laid low, not eating, not drinking, blind. Has to be led by the hand instead of, I imagine that's how Saul walked whenever he's after Christians, right? But then when the light appears and blinds him, it's this. immediately he started proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. Remember, why? Very strategic on his part. They already have a previous history. What is he proclaiming? Jesus is the Son of God. Why is that so important? Because he is saying, this King, this Messiah, the Anointed One of God that you've been looking for, you killed Him. He was actually here. And you destroyed Him. This We may not gravitate to, towards that, Easily. For a Jew, that would have been like nails across the chalkboard. But here's what we see he's strengthening, he's getting stronger, he's associating with people now, he's growing. Everybody wants a Christian that grows, right? And I love this word confounding the Jews threw them into consternation. I love that. You ever thrown anybody into consternation? Surely not you. Right? I know that Jay certainly hasn't done that ever maybe. <laughs> he laughs as he walks away. Great. But notice he was proving it. He was proving it. You know what that tells me? He was using these years of study in the Old Testament and he's unfolding passage after passage after passage. It's the Messiah. It's Jesus. It's the Messiah. It's Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the rightful King of Israel. Now this shouldn't surprise us. Does everybody remember the strangers? Uh, On the road to Emmaus, the two guys are walking along talking. They can't believe we thought he was the Christ, and he died. And we had all of our hopes. And remember, Jesus is just kind of moseying along behind him. They can't recognize him. Something supernatural going on about that. But when he gets with them, he begins unfolding from the Scriptures, all that was written about him, unfolding from Moses. Wow. It's possible. The Old Testament is what preaches about the coming of Christ. He fulfills it. And then we come to an interesting little point. Everybody see verse 23? Look what happens here. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with it. Now that seems to be the way to deal with somebody who throws you into consternation, okay? But here's what's interesting about Luke. Everybody remember that Luke is a doctor? Everybody remember that Luke is very precise, in his gospel, he actually says, I sought to lay out an orderly account of how these events transpired. He's creating a timeline here. He wants for the facts to be indisputable, and he wants to record them to the best of his ability. I always think, of if you if you ever watch CSI or whatever, I always think of him as like the Gil Grissom of the Bible. Everybody remember that guy? That guy knows everything, and I'm well, you didn't see the fingerprint. Like, oh, good grief. Did... He's that guy. He's unfolding everything there he's giving good reason for why it was there. That's Luke. But here is a strange place. When many days had elapsed. What happens here? You may say, well, this isn't a big deal. It just means a few days went by. No, actually it doesn't. And people cannot figure out why Luke didn't document some of the things that happened here. Let's take our Bibles and turn over to the right to the book of Galatians. You're going to hit Romans. 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and then Galatians. We're going to go to Galatians 1. Galatians is an interesting book because it is a defense of faith alone in relation to how you live the Christ life. But he does something really interesting because it seems that his apostleship was being disputed. It seems that some people came in after he preached and told them it's by God's grace alone that you are saved through faith alone in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone because he alone died for your sins. And by the way, the word alone means by itself, alone. me say, why are you making a big deal of that? Galatians sometime this week. You'll see why alone is such a big deal. But what's interesting is in order to talk about his apostleship, Paul takes us on a history journey. Now this is what it is if we are looking at our bookmarks and the last one here, The Expanse. We're talking about what it is to have Scripture compared with Scripture in order to fill in some gaps for our minds. Something took place in the reason why he left Damascus and then he does something and comes back to Damascus. Watch what this is. Look at verse 11 of chapter 1. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel... Which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Does everybody remember that? The light. Boom! Now, if there was any other teaching that took place in that, we don't know. But we will take Paul's words at face value because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. I don't believe he'd be lying here. It says here, verse 13 For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. Have we heard of that? Yeah, actually, that's one of the first things we checked out, right? The persecution of Acts 8, Acts 9, and Acts 26. He recounts this for his audience. And, forgive me, Acts 22. We've got different accounts, one of Luke recording it, and two of his own testimony about what a scoundrel and varmint he was. He was dirty, he was bad. Watch and see if this fills in any blanks for you. He says how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And that's the negative side. Look at his positive side that he wants to bring out. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen. Imagine yourself being in a race and kind of bypassing somebody like, <laughs> that guy's got nothing on me. And just excelling through the ranks, award after award, commendation after commendation almost hearing the earthly means of a well-done, good, and faithful servant. As good as it could have got in religious sex. Guess what? He had it. He had it. He was a Pharisee on the way to being the pinnacle. Maybe one day could have gone to be high priest. Well, no, he wasn't of the tribe of Benjamin. But boy, he was on his way up, up, up. Now watch what he says here. He says, I was advancing among my countrymen Being more, here's the words, extremely zealous. And watch what Paul does here to show us exactly what he was all fired up about. For my what? Ancestral traditions. That ever happened to you? You ever get fired up about your denominational affiliation? And then you find that when truth comes against that, it wrecks your entire world. Well, no, that can't be true. You have to be baptized to be saved. You sure? Because it's not what the Bible teaches. Well, yes, it does. How do you know? Because I got it in confirmation class. So I'm going to go ahead and pull back the curtain so you can see the wizard. That's not the Bible. Not. Well, you don't understand. I've joined the church. That's how I know I'm good. I don't save nobody. I taught Sunday school for 12 years. I remember asking a girl one time, how do you know that you're going to heaven when you die? I taught Sunday school for 12 years. I thought, poor Sunday school students. Because that was the only reason she could give. It had nothing to do with Jesus Christ dying on the cross for her sin. It had nothing to do with personal faith in him so that she could have eternal life and forgiveness of those sins. Nothing. Now here's what's interesting. I was so exceedingly zealous for a man-made structure of what people said was right and wrong, I was so fired up about it. I'm arresting people and I'm killing people and I'm trying to get legal authority to go anywhere to jail them. Good grief! Zealous is the only word that you can call it. You can't call it rational. You certainly can't call it right. You can't call it full of love either. It's all about destruction and death. But here's what I love, verse 15. But when God Oh man, but when God, you bring your highlighter today, get that puppy out and get that page wet. But when God, why? Because God is the difference maker. Because ancestral traditions are laid low when God gets in the mix. Why? Because God is the perfect pancake maker. He will pour you out and then flip you no problem and deal with your world. You laugh because you know it's true. Because you've been flipped. If you haven't been flipped yet, get ready. Because when you say, I just want more of Jesus in my life, the flipping starts. And he will do it. And you will be better off for being cooked on the other side, I promise you. He's perfect in how he does that. But when God got involved, wait a second, I thought in your ancestral traditions you were serving God. You know what that does? It tells you how far Judaism had gotten from the Old Testament, Yahweh. Now that's tragic. It's tragic to be so, so right about all the wrong things. Where's the grace? Where's the Savior? Notice it's all, I'll take care of it. Good grief. Such a self-centered view. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, notice that. I got something to do for Paul the moment he was conceived. It gives us the location and time, doesn't it? Here's Saul in his womb. I got a plan for him. It just takes time to bring it about. We may notice that Jesus made sure it got taken care of because Jesus decided to introduce Saul to Jesus himself, right? It wasn't some of, we got to pray hard and go out with our tracks and evangelize. Notice nobody evangelized this guy. It's just Jesus showing up and saying, here's what's going on. Wow. and that doesn't happen to too many people. So we can't take that as like this is the prototypical conversion experience. It's not. But why was it this way? Because the moment that he was conceived, God had something for him to do. Notice what it says here from my mother's womb. He called me through his grace. You know what that says? I didn't deserve it. He did it anyway. That's what it is. And he was pleased to reveal his son to me. For what reason? so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Everybody see the reiteration of his calling? Everybody remember about Ananias? But Lord, this guy's kind of brutal. You don't understand, Ananias. I've chosen him. He will bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the Jews. Everybody see that? Ananias knew the calling for Saul did. Guess what? Here's Paul. He knows his calling. I have been called to the Gentiles. This is the reason why God saved me he has something for me to do. The reason why he chose me in my mother's womb is because he's got something for me to accomplish in my life. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. When he got flipped, he didn't go find other pancakes to associate with. Now that's interesting. Because notice he wasn't saying, was this right? Was this true? Was this really what happened? What just happened to me in this? It wasn't about getting a human perspective or opinion on this. He says, verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem. Now, you need to pay attention to this. He didn't leave from Damascus because that's where he was converted, yes? He didn't go back down to Jerusalem. Now, real quick, Deb, can we throw up the map from Jerusalem to Damascus? Everybody remember how far Damascus is? Everybody remember that? Down here is Jerusalem. Up there is Damascus. Now, remember, that's some scared Christians once persecution broke out. They traveled far. Guess what? Didn't stop Saul from coming after them. But once his conversion situation happened, he didn't go back to Jerusalem. Who would have been there? Remember when the stoning of Stephen happened? And everybody spread out except who? The apostles. And if his apostleship is being questioned, notice what he's saying. I didn't go talk to other apostles once I got converted. That's not how I'm trying to mosey in on the apostleship branding over my person. No, 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 no. That's not what it was at all. Everything came to me from Christ. Now that's important to understand to watch what happens because we got to figure out what happened and why Luke leaves this spot absent. So notice it says here, verse 17. Yes, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to where? Arabia, now watch this, and returned once more to Damascus. Now, Deb, I'm sorry, go back to the map. I love you, you're on it. You're on it, but we got to show this. Oh, that's not the right one. Go back to the one before that. There. Everybody see these red dots here that just kind of go away? That's where he went. What's in Arabia? Does anybody know? Desert. Now, here's the interesting thing. To be fair, because if you were to read a commentary, here's what you would find out about this. There's a group down here called the Nabateans. okay? And one of the things they're most famous for is whenever we all watched Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and you see the city of Petra and it's all carved in the rock, and they're like, oh, he's going in there, the penitent man will pass, and all that stuff. Everybody remember that from the movie? Okay, good. So that structure, they were known for inhabiting some of that stuff, and they said, no, 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 what happened was is that Paul went down there and messed with them and hung out and he was preaching and evangelizing and had this thriving ministry going on. I don't think that's what happened. He was in Damascus, and then all of a sudden he disappeared. He didn't go to Jerusalem. If you were going to go down here to this area, don't you think you'd stop at Jerusalem first? Notice what he's saying. I didn't do that. I went to Arabia. I went out in the middle of nowhere where there's nothing. Now the question is, why? No one knows. No one knows. So Christ could teach him? I believe that's what it is. We can only speculate, but I want you to think about this for a second. He brings it up in passing for a reason. And he's going to give us some time here about when this might have happened. But imagine being schooled ever since you were five years old in the Old Testament, and all you know are the ancestral traditions that you would later have fuel your entire being and reason for living. I mean, that's indoctrination. Everybody understand that? So he's only thinking according to one way this entire time. And then Jesus comes in, and he probably said something like, you've heard it said, that you shall not murder your brother. I tell you, if you hate someone in your heart, you've killed them. Do you think that's serious teaching that might recorrect some ancestral tradition? I'll tell you what it does. It gets beyond the flesh, and it hits the heart. Notice it's not that Paul doesn't understand the Old Testament. He's proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. But there's everything intellectual to be exercised there. But getting to the heart of the matter, I believe this is what happened. And in order for that to take place, Paul had to experience something that we rarely have, solitude. Paul had to get alone with God. You ever tried to get alone with God in a house with two kids? I'm just asking for a friend. Watch this, verse 17, I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus, he comes back, and then he gives you something, verse 18, then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem. Now here's what we don't know, we don't know if the three years were inclusive of Arabia and Damascus part two, I think personally, we can speculate, I don't know. I think that probably Arabia took up the majority of that three years. Now, here's what kind of happens with that when we, if we think through it, and the only reason why I'm bringing it up is because this was the method of Jesus. Does it ever bother you that Jesus in the is in the midst of doing this incredible ministry? He has this incredible teaching, healing is going on, people are coming and droves him, and all of a sudden he has to go away on the side of a mountain and leave all that behind so he can be alone to pray, because any sensible the nominational ambassador would say, well, don't you see the ministry out there? Why are we neglecting the harvest of God? And of course we understand, Jesus knows that the time in solitude with His Father is what helps fuel the opportunity when you're in the midst of ministry. Or let me say it this way, busyness will kill you. Let me say that. I really believe this. Satan is not so much concerned about whether or not you know where he is, but if he can just get you busy, you don't know where God is. Busy is one of the greatest tools next to depression and discouragement that he has. All of them are well-worn. A lot of Christians are bearing the marks of those things. I'm going to give you a very simple tool that you can remember, okay? Everybody hold up your hand like this. Come on. We're not like protesting. Don't think of it like that. I want you to take these two fingers, okay? I want you to drape them over your thumb like that. See that? That's the first one. Then I want you to do this. Okay. You've all just learned sign language that is no. No you walk into my office, if you've ever sat down across from my desk, you will know that I have two post-it notes in my office that say no. One is on my monitor for those folks that can't see the other one over here hanging off my bookshelf. Because when people want to bring up a lot of things about, well, maybe I need to, well, maybe I need to, well, maybe I need to, well, maybe, and I hear more, well, maybe I need to until the cows come home. I simply lean forward and I tap the edge of my monitor where that is. No. Well, maybe I should just get more committed to this. No. Because everything tends towards work and busy, work and busy, work and busy. No. Are you saying it's bad to work? No. I'm saying having a good work ethic in this day and age is awesome, but a good work ethic also knows when to say no. Take a break. If for no other reason. I just need some personal time. I'll be honest with you. I don't care about your personal time. I'll tell you this. I don't think Jesus does either. What we need is Jesus time. Time with God. Time in the Word. Time to let the mind and heart soak in a basin of Scripture. Time to actually pray with clarity unto an end. If you're like me sometimes with everything crazy, like, "Uh, Lord, I just wonder what my wife's cooking tonight. Don't tell me it doesn't happen to you. Sometimes our thoughts are like flies. Why can't we focus? I'll tell you why. Because the world is too busy. One of the most dangerous things ever. I've always got to check it. Well, Somebody might have called. I just received a text message. I wonder if my shipment from Amazon is here. You don't understand. I just got prompted because Vern played something on Words with Friends. I got to respond. He can't win this game. We don't play Words with Friends. I'd lose. You don't understand. If you have one of those, you can keep your calendar in there and keep up with people and social media and you're going to quicker mail. And also check the weather and also call people. and. Has this made your life any easier? He's anti-technology. I'm not a Mennonite. Calm down. But I will say it to you like this, in the same way that A.W. Tozer communicated it. If anything comes between me and my Bible, it is sin. Is this okay? Yeah. In moderation. Just like barbecue in moderation. It's like anything else in our lives, in moderation. But when it begins to crowd out the truth of God's Word, and I can't think straight anymore, something's got to happen. You ever been sitting there and you thought, man, I wonder what the Bible has to say about that subject? You ever done that? Yeah? You guys know that we have a library where the doors close? You can even pull the shades. Pull all your books you need for that study and just pull the shades and watch them go down. Leave your phone outside if you have. There's tons of time to get to know the Lord or do we take the time? Here's what I love about Paul. Was the ministry awesome? Man, going to a synagogue and announcing that Jesus is the Son of God, that's, yes! We want to see people's alarms go off. We love it when they come in face-to-face with the Messiah. But Paul also recognized This ministry is not going to sustain like this. We can't keep moving forward like this. And So he goes away. Probably for three years. That's not all that happens. Now get this, recognize this. This is wisdom that we're reading here. It's not just geography and timing. It's wisdom. I have got to take a break. get alone with God. Watch what happens. Verse 18, then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem. Now keep in mind that, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you don't mind writing in your Bible, you can write right next to Jerusalem, Acts 9, 26. Because if we compare this with Luke's timeline, this is where we see Jerusalem come in. And that's why between the first part of verse 23 in Acts 9 and verse 26, we have a space discrepancy If I could talk, educated in Kentucky, forgive me. Or you could talk there somewhere in order to fill in the blanks, and I believe he does that with Galatians. He says he went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas. Who's Cephas? Peter. And stayed with him 15 days. That's probably all he could handle. Right? Let's be honest. Peter was different once he had the Holy Spirit. Okay? But think about it. I only stayed with him for 15 days. That was it. If you're questioning my apostleship, that's all we did. Now watch this. But, verse 19, I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother, the one who wrote James, his half-brother, the natural child of Mary and Joseph. And by that time, if you're familiar with Acts, he was the one who was the head pastor of the church in Jerusalem. How in the world did that happen? They didn't believe him during his earthly ministry, but suddenly James gets saved after the resurrection, I'm sure. Can you imagine Jesus showing up and going, James, (laughs) right? All of a sudden, he's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. That's here, verse 20. Now what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. Verse 21. Then I went into the regions of, now watch this, Syria and Cilicia. You need to know those terms because they're regions. Syria and Cilicia. And here's what's interesting about this. If you look through any commentary that has checked the timing of Paul's time, this time of Syria and Cilicia is about 10 years of silence. Put it together. If he spent three years in Arabia, he comes back to Jerusalem for about 15 days. He sees Peter. He sees James. And then he goes up to these regions. We're going to talk about them here in just a minute on the map. And when he's there, nobody hears from him for 10 years. So far, we have about 13 years of off the map. Don't show him yet. Stop it. Get out there. Okay. almost gave away the end of my sermon. Syria and Cilicia, 10 years absence, 13 years off the radar. Well, if he was a real Christian, he'd be out there sharing the gospel with people. Well, if he was a real Christian, he'd be discipling some folks. Well, if he was a real Christian, stop. If he's a real Christian, he's going to put God first and do whatever he says. Period. What does God want? If he's a serious Christian, that's what he'll do. Notice it says here, verse 22. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, that's down south where Jerusalem is, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Because this is a convert that brings a testimony that causes worship to happen in the church. And that should happen every time. Every time. If you've shared the gospel with somebody recently and they've become a believer in Christ, share it, please. Share it with us so that we can rejoice about it. These are reasons. We, trust me, we live in dark days. Time is short. Days are evil. We need some reasons for rejoicing. The Lord is still working to save people. Are we being used in order to do this? Moving on to chapter 2. Then after an interval of 14 years. Okay, stop. What in the world's going on here? Chances are that when Paul is labeling things like the three years or the 14 years or things, he's talking about from his initial conversion of Acts 9. Regardless, we still have a large chunk of time where he's not there. But look what he says. I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Everybody love Barnabas? The son of encouragement. Everybody knows his real name's Joseph, right? But nobody called him that. Why? Because when you have a new master, you decide to change your name. When you have a new person who's coming to your life and flipped you as a pancake, you don't mind the chef giving you a new name as well. That's okay. He's a son of encouragement. Why? Because he's named after his spiritual gift. And everywhere he went, he was building people up. We're going to see that in a second. But notice, he went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas. So we see that Paul and Barnabas are together, taking Titus along also, I guess if we have to, right? It says here, Titus was a good guy. Don't get me wrong. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. You say, what in the world are these three verses about? This is the Jerusalem council that is located in Acts 15. You can read it for yourself. Now, we're in Acts 9 where we left off that. This is Acts 15. There's a lot that's happened in that section of what's going on. And what's crazy is, is the narrative of Acts 9 for 10 moves into Peter's ministry. And it changes. And then in Acts 11, Luke decides to go back to Paul. What happened? He's off the scene during this time, and he doesn't really bring up his whereabouts again until he and Barnabas have to make a trip to go make sure that they're preaching a correct, works-free gospel because they had people who were genuine believers in the church who were saying, it's not just believing in Jesus, you also have to get circumcised, and you also have to keep the Ten Commandments. And they were like, whoa, 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 it sounds like works to me. So they go to figure all this out in Acts 15. But what's amazing is, is just as Luke left out the information that Paul gives here, Paul left out some information that Luke gives back there. Let's travel back to Acts 9. Acts chapter 9. Somebody asked you, did you go anywhere this weekend? Yes. Went to Damascus and Arabia, Cilicia, Syria. We were all over the place. Look at verse 23 where we left off at. I believe that verse 23 23 is Damascus part 2. He leaves, he goes to Arabia, he comes back. And when he's returned, the Jews are like, oh, we can't have any of this like he was doing before. And they decide they want to kill him. Look what happens here. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. And they were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples, now that's interesting. By this time, Paul has a following when he returns to Damascus the second time. His disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. That's how he got out. Can you imagine somebody watching, somebody's out here watching the entrance and exits of all the church waiting for you to come out? That's a meeting you don't, right? We'll we'll lower you out a basket out one of these windows so you can get away scot-free. That's just a, I mean, think about how serious that situation is. As soon as we see him, dead. Okay? Look at this, verse 26. When he came to where? Jerusalem. I think this was during the 15 days where he saw Peter and James. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. He was a pseudo-disciple. He's a spy Christian. Is that what he was? But look what happens. Verse 27, you got to love it, But Barnabas. Everybody see that? Keep this in mind, guys. Sometimes a person with a checkered past who comes to know the Lord needs a Barnabas who's already been with the Lord in order to bring that person alongside for full acceptance in the church. We still have our prejudices about things, and they are wrong, wrong, wrong. Sometimes you need somebody with the spiritual gift of encouragement to speak on behalf of somebody so that the church can be unified. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. Isn't that credible? He's even got the apostles on his side. He went from ravaging to reconciling. That's insane. It's what the Lord can do. How about look at 29. And he was talking and arguing. I thought he was a Christian. Why is he arguing? Because Christians like to argue. That's okay. He was arguing with the Hellenistic Jews. But they were attempting to put him to death. It doesn't sound like they wanted to argue too long, did it? Now watch this. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea. Now, Caesarea is along the Mediterranean Sea. So they brought him, in fact, Deb, can we bring up the middle map? I think we might be able to see that on there. Yes, Jerusalem, Caesarea, they brought him over there, okay? To that point, they got him out of harm's way. They sent him away to where? Tarsus. Anybody remember what's special about Tarsus in Paul's life? where he was born. He was born there. That's how he got his Roman citizenship, by being born in Tarsus. Now, here's what's interesting. Now, Deb, you can bring up the super map. Notice that he came down here in this area, okay? This is where Caesarea was, which means he probably took a ship that went all the way around. And here's what's crazy. Syria is located over in this area that you can't see off the map. But if you look right, where is my, my pointer's not up here. I bet my son took it. All right. Notice up here, Cilicia. Do you see this white area? See where the, oh, good. right above this. Does everybody see it? Everybody see Tarsus right there? Look at that region right above it, what's it called? Silesia. For 10 years. Cilicia and Syria. He was in those places. Nobody hears from him. This corresponds with him going back to Tarsus in Acts chapter 9. So he goes there and he just stays. And we don't know what's going on. We don't know if he's active. We don't know if he's associating with people. We don't know what kind of nightlife he has now. We don't know anything. One thing that we do know from 1 Corinthians 7 is that at some point his wife abandoned him. We do know that. In order to be a Pharisee, you had to be a married man. But by coming in contact with the gospel, she probably said, Psh, I'm out. She'd had enough of this. There's no telling what kind of retribution this brought upon her and her family. We've been disgraced, whatever it might be. But she was gone, and she left him. Now he's single. Verse 30, But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea, southern region, Galilee, northern region, and even those Samaritans, right? Notice they enjoyed peace. They were being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and continued, and it continued to increase. Now here's an interesting thing. Verse 31 is what happened apart from Paul's presence. You know what that tells you? It tells you that Paul was able to call a relationship with Jesus time out and get alone with Him if that's what needed to happen and the Holy Spirit was still able to do ministry through other people to get it done. You don't have to do everything in the church. And by doing everything in the church you have robbed the people with those spiritual gifts to be able to do those things in the church. Guess what? It's okay to say no for more favorable things. Either that are in your gifting or because you need time alone with Jesus. But notice, all of those regions of Israel there, they did just fine. They did just fine. They could stand ten years without Paul. Seems like they did quite okay. You know why? It's not the person who makes the ministry, it's the Holy Spirit's involvement. Period. So if the Holy Spirit leads you, I've got to take this time out and get alone with Jesus. Not get alone and eat Cheetos and watch Matlock. That's not what you do. Okay? Use the time wisely. Don't lie to your brothers and sisters in Christ. But if you need to check out so that you can check in with Christ, then do that. Now, here's the thing. Here Paul sits for years in Tarsus. Familiar country. Nothing's going on. Turn over to chapter 11. We bypass Peter's part. He preaches to Cornelius. The first Gentiles come to faith through Peter, not Paul. Why? Because Jesus said, I will give you the kings of the kingdom. Notice he opened the key in Acts 2, or he opened the door in Acts 2 with the key for the Jews. He opens the door for the Gentiles in Acts 10. Exactly as Jesus told Peter that it would take place. Now we're in chapter 11. We've got some of this information going on about Peter's ministry, and then all of a sudden we hit a very interesting spot. Look at verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen. Everybody remember that? Acts 7. And then that's when we see that all the clothes were laid at Paul's feet. He gets all geared up and he's ready to go capture people. So notice, it, Luke is connecting the dots historically for us here. We all know where we're at. Look what it says. Notice that Stephen made their way to Phoenicia. Now here's what's interesting. That's a coastal region that's just north of Galilee. That's important. You know your geography there. In fact, oh, we, we don't have to bring it up. I don't even have it marked. I can't find my pointer, so it doesn't matter. Um, Also to Cyprus. Everybody knows Cyprus, right? It's the little island that's out there in the Mediterranean Sea on the little elbow when it curves, okay? And also to Antioch. Ooh, Antioch. That's an important place. In fact, here's what I'm going to ask you to do is take a moment and use your maps in the back of your Bible. Go back to see if you can find something regarding the missionary journeys of Paul. And if you can locate down at the bottom, in fact, here's, here's probably the best way to do it. You can locate the island of Cyprus right in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, yes? Everybody see that? Get there? Yeah? Okay? If you take your finger and travel over to the east, to the right, east is right, just so everybody knows, okay? Travel over to the right and then go up north just a little bit, where it curves on the elbow, you're probably going to see a place there named Antioch, and if you look to the left of it, across that little bit of water, you're going to see Tarsus. Does everybody see that? Antioch is a key place that you need to know. Antioch is a major place that you need to know. Now watch this, okay? Verse 20. Sorry, they're at Antioch. Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. These were where Christians spread out. They're speaking the word to no one else but Jews only, okay? Now watch this. Verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus. Now they had to be from Cyprus, didn't they? It's an island where they're not in the chain with everybody else's news. NBC doesn't reach that far. They don't know what's going on, right? Right? Notice what it says here. There were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch, okay? just saw it on the map. And began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. You can't talk to the Greeks. Don't you understand he's a Jewish Messiah? He came for the Jews. You can't do that. Oh contraire, mon Watch what happens. Verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them. Ha ha! Praise Jesus, right? And a large number who believe turn to the Lord. A Gentile mass conversion that takes place after the household of Cornelius. Some guys just being obedient. Preaching the gospel, telling people the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Anybody will listen. And we're not worried about what their green card has to say. We don't care where their passport's been stamped or not. We're just telling everybody. It's amazing. The more shots you take, the more hits you'll get. Notice here, Greeks, mass conversion. Now, I love it because everybody gets into a panic. And anytime people panic in the scriptures, it's really great to see what God does. Verse 22. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, where all the apostles were, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Good grief, we all got a new hero today, don't we? That guy's just great. I picture him as kind of a Linus-like character, maybe he carries a blanket with him, I don't know, but he's just encouraging and he'll just wrap you up for your own good, right? We're going to send the guy who has a spiritual gift of encouragement to this brand new mass of Gentile believers for what reason? What would you think? To build him up, to encourage him. Absolutely. What a great plan. Verse 23. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God. Notice that. He walks into an area and he comes upon a bunch of Gentiles who have been converted to Christ. And he witnesses. Eyewitness account. The grace of God. He saw grace. That's huge. He rejoiced which is a good response to grace, and began to encourage them all, we all said, duh, with a resolute heart, now notice this, to remain true to the Lord, to abide in Christ. That was the message that he brought. I love that he wasn't licking his finger and holding it to the spiritual wind to see whether or not they were really saved. Thank God that he's had somebody who had a theology of assurance. He comes in and wants to build them up and say, don't fall back. Keep on going. Press on. It's worth it. Remain true to the Lord. Verse 24, for he was a good man, is full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. In other words, check out the formula, guys, because it isn't any different today. Because effective discipleship was going on within the believers, evangelism was happening to bring more into the fold discipleship gives way to evangelism. Evangelism creates disciples. Does everybody see that our calling now is no different than then, and it's incredibly simple? It requires our effort. It requires our participation. It requires us to do things that are uncomfortable. But when it happens, the Lord moves. Understand that. Notice it says here, verse 25. Let's wrap this up. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Wait a second. Barnabas ought to have more sense than Paul does. Paul was witnessing to people and he said, I got to go. And he went out in the desert. What's wrong with him? Now Barnabas has got this thriving ministry and he leaves to go find Saul. Anybody wonder if maybe Barnabas thought, good grief, I can't handle this. What's interesting is, is we know Barnabas is the son of encouragement. That's a spiritual gift. Notice he's not the son of teaching. Notice he's not the son of preaching. Notice he's not the son of even knowledge and wisdom. Notice that he's not the son of giving. He's not the son of helps. He's not the son of discernment of spirits. He's not any of those other gifts. He's just known for encouragement. That's it. And you know what? I bet he knocked it out of the park. But he probably saw as more believers were coming in, good grief, we need something a little bit more extensive for everybody. I got a church growth problem and we got to get somebody in here that is able to train them up in sound doctrine. How do you know that? Because the warning he gave them, or the encouragement he gave them was, don't fall away from the Lord. Don't forsake this. What does it literally say there? Remain true to the Lord. It tells me there was some very real temptation that they might fall away from the faith. i got to get somebody in here to lay solid foundation so that they will build their lives on it and not sway when the house begins to rock, or not fall when the house begins to rock. I've got to do something here's the amazing thing. What's Saul been doing for 10 years? We don't know. But here's what Barnabas knows from his previous interactions with Saul. He would be perfect for this ministry. Chuck Swindoll and his series on Paul. If you've never heard it, it's incredible. It's a great character study of Paul. It's wonderful. He brings up an interesting thing. He goes, did you notice that Paul's resume wasn't out? Did you notice he wasn't getting on any of the local websites for help wanted He wasn't like, hey guys, I'm over here, hanging out in Tarsus, need me? me? No, okay, we'll talk later. He doesn't do that. He's simply being faithful to the Lord, doing whatever God wants him to do, and the opportunity arises when Barnabas comes to find him. Notice it says here, he went off to look for Saul, verse 26, and when he had found him, which means he searched, okay, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year, They met with the church and taught considerable numbers. I guarantee you that was probably every night. They taught considerable numbers. Why? Because in order to get solidly grounded in doctrine, you've got to spend a lot of time in the Bible, period. There is no shortcut to growth. It takes time and commitment, and you have to be in that. Don't be surprised if your house of cards falls when you're not doing that, okay? Notice they were teaching considerable numbers. And the disciples, here it is were first called Christians in Antioch. Now that's significant, and let me me tell you why. What does Christian mean? They attended the Billy Graham Crusade, that's what it means. They listened to the Gaithers, no? What is it? What? Followers of Christ? Little Christ. Little Christ. I'm so thankful they weren't called Paulites. I'm so glad they weren't called Barnabasians. Notice that Paul and Barnabas got their ministry straight. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. Why? Because everything in the Old Testament sets the stage for him and everything that we have in the New Testament explains what happened with him and all the long occurring ramifications of a death and resurrection of God bearing sin so that you and I can be set free in righteousness good grief we need to know this book for an entire year imagine dream with me for a second what if we had an entire year where we met every night The elders would all take turns in teaching various doctrines of the Bible, going through various books of the Bible. Well, you know, Packers are still playing. Not well. Decide whether you want to watch. I asked Terry, I said, man, I'm thinking about going out and getting a gallon of ice cream to eat my feelings tonight during the game. (laughs) Yeah, might eat two, exactly. But what if? What if we decided that the world was going to be less busy in our lives so that Jesus could have more of that life? What if we were to recognize that, you know what, I'm in the thick of a ministry that's growing, but I can't do it alone. I need to go find the person that has the right tools of the Holy Spirit to come in and make a difference. My fear, my legitimate fear, as a pastor, it would be twofold. Well, pastor, that would take a lot of effort. I'm, are, are, do we not see the eternal value in the things that we have in front of us? Let me ask you, please, if you think of Grace Bible Church as just some small little church in some small little town that nobody ever thinks about in the middle of portage, we have ceased to think of it as God says we are. That is a personal perspective, and it is wrong. It is sin. I don't know about you, but I'm a child of the king. I don't know about you, but I have association with the Most High based on the blood of a person who didn't deserve to die who has opened the floodgates of grace for me. I still have problems dealing with that and grasping it. But you know what? Doesn't mean it's not true. So any effort that I would put forward is springing out of this elaborate love he has for me. That's when it stops being stressed and starts being success. The second thing that I would be scared to death of would be, but if we do that, I might get changed. If I do that, I might get flipped. Being flipped is not the worst thing that could happen. If you've been flipped before, you actually have this strange craving to get flipped again. Kind of like when you get a tattoo. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do as we wrap this up. Only you can answer this question. It's the thing. I'm not trying to pry. But think for just a second. What is an area of your life? Just start with one. Just start with one. What is an area of your life where you know that your knuckles are sore from straining? Keep it out of Jesus' hand. I mean, it's it's an area that you don't want to talk about. It's an area that you definitely don't want anybody else to know about. They might judge you. They might hate you. They might think less of you, which should not be true in the church ever. But what is an area that you just stranglehold? Because if Jesus ever did something with that, man, I might have to be uncomfortable. It might cost me my reputation. My family might have to be different. I won't be able to do all the wonderful things. I would hate to think that we love this world so much that we wouldn't let Jesus happen. That might not be a reality for you. For a lot of people it is. Church is just Sunday. I open my Bible on Sunday. Well, they had a Wednesday night study. I did it then too. So extra points for me. That's not a relationship. That is not having a regular sit down. Lord, here is what is just weighing me down so badly. And here's how I need Lord, you can have it all. Get your hand off my finances. Husbands, do you realize that Jesus takes better care of your wife than you do? <laughs> the women say yes. No notice, here's here's not what I'm saying. What, what I'm not saying I'm not implying that any husband's doing a bad job. Think about this for a second. I'm saying that if you want to honor the Lord You'll do it Jesus' way. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. A dying love. A dying love makes arguments less relevant. A dying love brings a husband to say, I'm sorry, much quicker. A dying love doesn't always have to have its way. Husbands, love your wives because they're the weaker vessel. But they're also heirs with you of the manifold grace of God. And if you don't, your prayers are hindered. You're knocking, no one's going to open that door. Lord, 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 and the Lord's inside going, la, 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 la. Why? Why? Because you wouldn't dare get down on your feet and wash your spouse's feet. Or down your knees and wash your spouse's feet. Because you wouldn't dare lift them up. Because you're unwilling to humble yourself to do that. Yeah, it's costly. It's costly. Guess what? The life you think you're living now that's great is not that great. It actually sucks, just nobody wants to tell you about it. It's actually a poor representation of some false statue, Christianity, that doesn't really exist. But because we keep polishing it and we keep acting pious, we think somehow that passes. God sees all. He sees it. We're in an incredible position right now where this church is getting ready to move forward. I'm so excited about it. I'm surprised my head is still on my body. Okay? But listen. Listen to me now. Listen. Sin always hinders God's work. Always. Deal with it. Deal with it. Come to Him about it now. You don't have to walk an aisle. We don't walk aisles here. It's okay. Don't need to. This is a conversation between you and Jesus, not you and Jeremy. So it's important that We take this time. I'm going to pray. The band is going to sneakily climb up here. Begin playing a song. And you know what? If you need to sit and pray, you want to stand and sing because you don't want anybody seeing you pray because you're conscious about that. Whatever. If you need to talk, come talk to me. He didn't know I was going to do this. If you need to talk, come talk to Chuck. Chuck's full of wisdom. Talk to him. Talk to Kevin. Talk to Jerry. Where are my other elders at? Where are you at? Kenny, thank you. You know what? Terry, you count. Burn you count. Jim, where's Jim? Jim's even got wisdom. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Eli and Dave, where are you? Dave's in the back. You need to sit down and have somebody just pray for you. Use this time now. Please. Please. God wants to do great, great things. We have got to get some of this hindrance stuff that we have out of the way and let him flip us like with prey Jesus, thank you for our time together. Thank you for, as we see the life of Saul unfolding, he's becoming Paul. You're teaching him. You're teaching him to say no to some things. You're teaching him that a vibrant relationship with you is so vitally important, that having that personal time is so critical. You're teaching him that names and faces don't matter. It's Jesus all the time, every time. You're teaching him that hardships will come and not everybody will like his message. And that's okay. You're teaching him that when he's needed, you will sin for him. You're teaching him that he can be used for the greater good of the body of Christ by simply exercising the gift the Spirit has given you. Father, we all need to learn these lessons too. You're slowly, slowly flipping. Praise the Lord for the amazing and glorious supernatural work that can be done in the life of incredibly undeserving people. No one is exempt. But for you to move, we have got to begin getting our hands off of the things that we hold so dear that are just fragments of what you desire for your children. But Lord, if that's a conversation we need to have now, I pray, Lord, let's utilize this time wisely. Wisely. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.